I read this often um, when we experience uh, <laughs> this time of year, the equinox. It's one of my favorite passages in Mark Nepo's book, The Book of Awakening. The Courage of the Seed. All the buried seeds crack open in the dark the instant they surrender to a process they can't see. What a powerful lesson is the beginning of spring. All around us, everything small and buried surrenders to a process that none of the buried parts can see. And this innate surrender allows everything edible and fragrant to break into a life of light that we call spring. In nature, we are quietly given countless models of how to give ourselves over to what appears dark and hopeless, but which ultimately is an awakening that is beyond all imagining. This moving through the dark into blossom is the threshold to God. As a seed buried in the earth cannot imagine itself as an orchid or hyacinth, neither can a heart packed with hurt imagine itself love or at peace. The courage of the seed is that once cracking, it cracks all the way. The courage of the seed is that once cracking, it cracks all the way. Mm. Okay, friends. So here we are, um, a year into the pandemic on this equinox, which is uh, the perfect balance, right, of light and dark in this day. And I grew up in a household where we did not mark these occasions. It was a very, um, I grew up in a very Catholic household, as many as you know. And what I love about these moments that are dictated by nature, right, by things that we don't choose, that we can't control, that just are, is that it's a call to attention, right? Um, it calls us to trust the process of awakening and rebirth that is happening now as we move towards spring. And there's um, a simultaneous trusting, as Mark Nepo spoke about, that the darkness, that what happens underground in the places that we cannot see is just as important as what blossoms, is just as important as what comes next. So um, we're going to have some story time here today. A friend of mine had texted me this week just a list of all of the things that had happened <laughs> Uh, in her life since the beginning of the pandemic, not pandemic related, just like the normal stuff that has happened in her life, um, just to have it reflected back at her to say, yes, that this is true, that this happened, this is real, this is truth. Um, and in reflecting it back to her, she said that she had the courage to be able to stand in the truth of her own narrative, to because I think sometimes when things happen in our life that are difficult or challenging is I don't know anyone who on top of the pandemic has had some sort of um, has not had some sort of other life event happen in the last year. Right. Which um, 
the pandemic has made it much more difficult because the normal things that we call upon, the normal resources that we have, such as connection and touch that call us back to belonging are not available to us, for most of us. Um, And so, you know, I just reflected back at her that yes, these things had happened. Yes, this is the truth. Yes, this is her narrative. And um, she just said, thank you. And that was it. That was all that needed. And it was this very profound moment, especially in a week where we saw um, with the killings in Georgia and Florida, how powerful, right, the narrative of the patriarch can be, how all of a sudden a narrative that is very um, narrow and rigid can quickly become our story and the story, right? And doesn't leave a lot of room for other kinds of knowing and discussion, right? So I saw these two things happen, my friend calling and me, or texting and needing this reflection back. Um, and then also this very powerful um, narrative of white supremacy happening that quickly became the story, right? And it made me think about um, this story in yoga, which is not going to make sense at first, but <laughs> keep going. Uh, and it is a Ganesha story. So many of you have heard this, but I'm going to retell it briefly, as I think that it's important to understand where we're going today. And the story is, is that Ganesha and um, Ganesha's brother Skanda are the children of Shiva and Parvati. And one of the devotees of Shiva and Parvati brought a beautiful mango for the family, but there was only one mango. And of course, the two children were super excited about the prospect of being able to taste this like luscious, I mean, everyone knows the taste of a mango, unless you're allergic, Um, but you know at that taste, you can imagine it in your mouth, that luscious, watery beautiful taste of fruit that happens um and so they both wanted it and so like good parents they decided to make a contest and this contest was whoever can run around the earth as quickly as they can um and come back um to uh to the parents would win the mango right um and Skanda's like stretching. Skanda's a warrior, very like lithe and thin. And he's like, yes, I'm going to win this. This is easy. And Ganesha's looking at himself and is like, well, I'm a lumbering, kind of chubby, slow moving elephant, you know? And so the contest and is kind of like considering it, like, how am I going to get this mango? This contest is unfair. And so Skanda says, okay, well, I'm going to bow at every single temple around the world dedicated to our parents, but I'm still going to make it. I know that I'm the fastest. And so Skanda, they're like, one, two, three, go. And Skanda goes, and he's, of course, very speedy. And what Ganesha does is simply moves towards his parents and creates a circle around them and walks around them, right, as they are his whole world. They are what matters. And my takeaway from this has always been that when we come to our practice, 
when we move through our day, can we remember to revolve around that which matters, right? And as I sat in my meditation practice this morning, I try and start with um, just that simple question, like, what matters here? What matters in this moment? And what came up for me was not what normally comes up, which normally I'm like, I want to be as spacious as I can so that love can flow through me freely, right? So that I can love it all. That's what comes up for me. And what came up for me this morning, (laughs) which is um, very interesting, was like, I need to feel safe in my body, that that's what matters right now. I need to remember that this body is home, that this body is safe, and that that is ultimately what's up. And um, this may not seem like a lofty spiritual goal, right? (laughs) Um, But it is only through the vehicle of our bodies that we have the opportunity to experience and taste the sweetness of the mango, to taste freedom and love. And if we aren't, Um, able to feel safe and rooted and even to like be in our bodies for a moment that that's not going to be available to us and so it's the sort of this moment of recognizing how basic really the practice is for many of us right now myself included that it is this coming back home to our bodies um, and to create a safety there and there's Um, There's this thing my friends call cognitive dissonance, which if you've been in the mindfulness class, you might have um, heard me talk about it. But it's a psychological term. It's a fancy name for (laughs) when the um, our ideas of ourselves and our what's actually happening don't match up. Right. And that can actually be a cause of stress this cognitive dissonance. So it's um, like, say you imagine yourself a kind person, but then you go out and you get in your car and you immediately have road rage. And then you like see that happening and then you kind of beat yourself up about it. And that's cognitive dissonance and it can be a cause of stress. And the practice for right now, for many of us, is to be able to be really honest and to be in our truth, like my friend with her text about what has actually been happening in our lives. And for myself, um, like my idea of myself is not someone (laughs) who, who just needs to feel safe in her body, right? My idea, my idea of myself is someone who has a lot of spiritual knowledge and understanding and has a practice that's pretty advanced, right? (laughs) Like that's like my quote unquote idea of myself, but the reality of what is happening right now, it makes me laugh. Because the reality of what is happening right now for many of us is that we have to go back to basics, to like how can I create safety and a feeling of home right here? And that reading that I did from Mark Nepo um, reflects that, right? That um, we need the seed. We need what's happening underground. We need that time in the darkness, like below the earth all of that basic sort of dirt, earth, feet on the ground, taking a breath kind of stuff in our practice right now in order to be able to um, blossom forth what's to come next. And um, 
the practice right now for many of us is to be willing to stand in the discomfort of a story that doesn't perhaps match up with our idea of who we think we are. Um, and like always, the idea of who we think we are is just an idea, and ideas are actually pretty stuck things, right? It's how we, um, how stereotypes happen, how assumptions happen about other people. Like we have an idea of how something is supposed to be, an idea of how we're supposed to be, and then when life doesn't match up with it, there, there's a little bit of like, right, that cognitive dissonance. Um, and... Um, ideas are stable. Ideas get stuck, right? Um, and the return to now, the coming back to the moment right now in our hearts, in our body, this breath is a, an awakening and a rebirthing into presence, into direct perception, and ultimately, yes, into love. Right. Um, and that and that's where love is. Love, remember, is saying yes to what is. But if we can't be here now because our nervous system is so whacked out, <laughs> then it's very difficult to be in the spaciousness of love that is available to us all the time. And there has to be this trusting there. So Stephen Hawking says the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, but it is the illusion of knowledge, the illusion of knowledge, of thinking that we know, right? A person who has, who is certain has very few possibilities. A person who is uncertain has many, right? Has many. Um, and our nervous systems, I'm just going to talk briefly about how our nervous systems work because I think that it is a good reminder. I um, went to a acupuncturist appointment. <laughs> this will just give you a personal background to this. But I went to an acupuncturist appointment because I've been experiencing so much um, teeth grinding and really, really, my friends, like my sleep, it's been so disrupted. And the acupuncturist was wise enough to ask me, well, what's happening when you fall asleep? And I said to her, you know, I go into a... Um, like use all my tools and I start to settle and then an intrusive thought happens that's actually quite frightening and then my heart starts beating really fast and um, I get scared I start sweating I have big temperature changes and she looked at me and said oh honey that's like classic PTSD <laughs> and um, it was very sobering because the idea that I am someone who is still experiencing PTSD is not the vision that I have of myself um, but it recentered me by having someone reflect that truth back at me. It recentered me in what is, right? So that I can bring my presence and my awareness to what is happening now. So I've been relearning how the nervous system works. And I wanted to share this with you guys because I cannot imagine I am alone in this. Um, our nervous systems are exquisitely sensitive and they don't have, uh, they move faster than thought, right? So they're exquisitely exquisitely designed and so sensitive at perceiving threat and um we can't control it right 
we can't like say like nervous system actually, I mean, we can to some extent, but when there's a threat happening, our nervous system will respond to protect our bodies. That's it's like perfect, wonderful job that it does is to keep us safe and to keep us alive. And for those of us who have, um, any sort of trauma, which is most of us in our lives, this exquisite sensitivity is even more elevated, right? Is even more elevated. And so fight, flight, freeze, and fawn um, become the responses in which we negotiate this space, right? And there has been for the past year, my friends, as my dad so well put, we've been using a lot of resources just to survive this pandemic, let alone the list of other things that have perhaps been happening in our lives. The other sort of ways in which our nervous systems have had to respond to something that is um, perceived as threat, right? Um, and I just love that our body knows what to do to keep us safe. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you for knowing how to keep me safe. And there can be this sort of sweetness there. Um, and I think that one of the things to remember is that even in the freeze and even in the fawn, right, a freeze is that slowing down and I call it slug mode. It's where my daughter tends to go and it's our jokey way of calling it where it's a really like sort of hibernating, being very quiet and perhaps um, no one will harm you because you're so quiet. <laughs> it might even like think that you're dead, that you're so quiet, right? That even that state is a state of high arousal. And then fawn, which is a state that is not um, as well known, but exists is the state of people pleasing that we can get into when we're trying to protect ourselves so that if we can people please our way out of it, maybe we won't get hurt. But that that is still a state of real high alert and high arousal and takes a lot of energy. And then fight, many of us know, and then flight obviously is that needing to just get out, right? The, to get the fuck out and run. Um, and so these states have been <laughs> as have been happening for many of us sort of consistently for a year now in various ways. And one of the things that my acupuncturist told me was that um, she's seeing right now that people are coming in and they are so they're like losing it, right? Because our nervous systems aren't meant to sustain these states of high arousal for so long. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, what can we do, right? And this is what has recentered me and caused me, right, like Ganesha, to revolve back around what really matters. And our bodies, my loves, know that they belong. Our bodies know that they belong, right? Our nervous system keeps us safe because it knows that our existence matters and knows that we belong. And so all of the research, all of the studies, right, um, all of the spiritual traditions, many of them that we study here, say that we have to start with the body, right, with coming back and being able to align our bodies and our hearts and our minds in the same place at the same time. And that it's from that place of the body and the mind being in the same moment at the same time that we get to experience some relief. And there's tools that we have to do this, so I wanted to give you a couple, as these are the things that I've been using. Um, my teacher Tara Brock says that the wilderness of the body is the portal back to belonging. 
The wilderness of the body is the portal back to belonging. And it is a wilderness, right? Because like in the beginning, we go in and we have a heartbeat that we can't control and we have a nervous system that will respond and is so sensitive and we just breathe, right? It's this sort of wild space inside of us um, that becomes our portal back to presence, back to freedom and ultimately back to love. So um, this is based on some of the rain stuff that is prevalent in the insight meditation tradition that I um, study. But the first part of it is to name what's going on for us, right? To pause. That's the first thing. You got to pause and stop and be like, wait a minute, what's going on, right? And to name it. And when we are able to name something, and this takes so much work, even the pausing, that recognizing that we're out of alignment is a lot of work, and then to name it is a lot of work. And so the naming it is the first step. We name it, and we give it a name, and we say, oh, fear, oh, anxiety, right? But in the naming, what happens in our brain, and this is so fabulous, is that we move from that limbic system where fight, flight, freeze, fawn happens back into our prefrontal thinking brain, into our prefrontal cortex, right? So that we're moving from that automatic nervous system into sort of the parasympathetic nervous system where it can be a little bit more restful. And then we allow, and this is the hard one, my loves, is that, that, and this is where the narrative comes in, is that we have to be able to withstand the discomfort of our own stories, right? Um, To be in what's actually happening for ourselves and to allow space for it. I told my um, that friend of mine who I'm talking about that I the one thing I know is that our hearts are stretchy enough and expansive enough for all of it, right? And we have this exquisite day that we're meeting on right now in the equinox where it's this reminder that there is enough room for the darkness and there is enough room for the light and that all of it There's space for all of it to happen. And so really allowing the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, um, allowing space for it and trusting that we are expansive enough to handle it, right? Um, And then the third part is to be really curious, right? To be curious about what's happening. Um, One of the tools that I like to use is to ask myself, is that really true? Is the story that I'm telling myself, is that really true? And many times it's not because I don't, to know for sure is a very difficult thing. Like we said, like knowledge, the illusion of knowledge is what keeps us from knowing, <laughs> like Stephen Hawking said. Um, and also I, I learned this on the um, new On Being podcast is that when I did not know this before, friends, but when we are curious, we actually get a dopamine hit. So we get a little bit of a reward for our curiosity, which is so lovely. So to practice it, it helps us actually, our brains to actually um, have some lovely chemicals that make us feel good, which is good. And then um, the last thing that I would suggest for all of us is to really like practice compassion. And by compassion, I mean, um, and I teach a lot of this, to be able to put our hands on our body right and say I this is something it feels so weird and inauthentic to me <laughs> to be completely honest because um, I'm not 
I'm not one who is skilled at loving um, myself as much as I am others, but it has been very necessary over the past year to put my hands on my heart, to put my hands on my face and say, you belong. You are okay. You are loved. It's okay to suffer. Right? And you can feel just even as I say that, that settling that can happen. Um, Another thing I learned from that podcast was if we put our heels on the earth, and you can try it right now together, if you're sitting or you can stand up and put dig your heels as you push your feet into the earth, right? And feel the earth underneath you holding you, right? That that can be another way to come back to the body. I've been practicing on my walks, like how many moments, how many breaths can I be with where I'm feeling the air from outside go into me and then feeling that offering that I make back to the earth, to the atmosphere, Right? Can I feel the air on my skin? Can I feel the sun on my face on the days that it has been sunny? And in doing all these things, we start to rebuild that trust that it's safe to be here in this body. Right? That it's safe to be in this moment. Um, and it's and that's the that is like Tara said, this wilderness of the body is our portal to freedom. And to really honor our own stories and our own hurts and the ways in um, in which we've been called out this last year and not had the resources to be able to call ourselves back in. So I hope that this chat is supportive to you and helps you to feel less alone um, if you are suffering and that it gives you some tools to be able to continue practicing like we're with this yoga with what we do here when we gather and we breathe and we be in our bodies and we have these chats that are real practical this is it (laughs) you know like this is what all of the research says that we should be doing and so let free love and all of our beautiful teachers be a support to you in this time right until we can be back together um all right you have a playlist there it's a really fun one my son helped me make it last night we're going to start in child's pose on our mats. Um, oh, wait, let's ohm. I wanted to ohm together. And then we'll start in child's pose on our mats. 